Welcome to Pastor Matters, the podcast of the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We hope this conversation will both equip and encourage you to lead healthy churches that make disciples for the glory of God. Hi, I'm Brandon Ward. I want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. Ron Jor is out today, but I'm so excited because I'm joined by two very special guests, Bryant Wright and Clay Smith. Bryant Wright has served in Southern Baptist life as both a pastor and the SBC president before becoming the first president of Send Relief in 2020. He retired as founding senior pastor of Johnson Ferry Baptist Church in Marietta, Georgia, on December 15, 2019, where he pastored for 38 years. And our second guest is Clay Smith, who now serves as the current senior pastor of Johnson Ferry Baptist Church. Brothers, thank you so much for taking some time, overcoming some technical difficulties to join the conversation today. Glad to be here. So, Brian, you wrote this book, Succession, Preparing Your Ministry for the Next Leader. And that's that's what we're going to be talking about today is thinking about how pastors can pass the baton. So you wrote this book and you did so with a little bit of help from your successor, Clay. And the book is essentially telling the story of what took place a few years ago when you did pass that baton off. And so at a church that you not only founded, but has have served at for, for decades. And so uh, I just want to get the conversation started with you sharing a little bit about that story. Obviously not, not giving away everything. We want people to get the book, to get the full story. But if you just spend a couple minutes just kind of recapping what took place and what made you want to write a book. Well, in 2012, when I finished uh, or was on a sabbatical time, I was really seeking God's guidance for the fourth decade of ministry from 30 to 40 years. And um There were about 10 things the Lord put on my heart, and one of those was developing a succession plan because Mm -hmm. I was 60, and it's a stage in life where you're no longer the young guy on the block, and people start asking you questions like, how long are you going to stay with this, or (laughs) when are you going to hang things up? And it wasn't people trying to run you off. They just are genuinely curious uh, about that. And so I came back and talked to the elders of Johnson Ferry uh, at the end of that sabbatical that I felt like we needed to get a process underway. And so really it was a long process, about six years, because Mm -hmm. we initially did study of other succession plans with senior pastors that have retired and their successors and read a couple of books, Bob Russell's great book on what he did at Southeast Christian there in Louisville. And we came up with a threefold game plan that would just be something for us to start with. Right. And that was then presented to the church in conference, even though our church conferences in spring and fall, about 100 people and not a whole lot of folks from the church. Um, But it was good to let the church know Hmm. that Brian and the elders had agreed on a succession plan when that time came. As one of the elders got up and told the congregation, Brian has no plans to retire any time soon. This is years away, but just felt like at this stage of life, it would be important to get it underway. So when the Lord led me to go to that uh, implementation a little bit earlier than I planned, because I wanted to stay to 70 and maybe 40 years as pastor, good biblical numbers. It just seemed right, but the Lord put it on my heart a little sooner uh, to implement the process. 
And we went through that. It was really one of the most wonderful experiences in my life serving with Clay as we overlapped. I hope we can talk about that a little bit in this uh, podcast. But when I finished in 2019, uh, I had three months before I was beginning uh, with Sin Relief. And during that time is when I wrote this book. It was something of a catharsis in a sense and reflecting on so much of the last decade of ministry at Johnson Perry but also just a fun thing to do right? Uh, because it's been a very good experience. And I, I just think there's going to be a tidal wave of baby boomer pastors retiring over the next 10 years. And my mm-hmm. hope is this not only helps pastors, but helps search teams, lay leaders in churches and others that are passing on their businesses to right. the next generation, just thinking about some basic principles there. And that's really how it came about. Yeah. I mean, I'm already starting to see a trend here locally where there are just churches without pastors because, you know, the pastor that had been pastoring for, for decades retires and there's nobody there to, to, to fill it, to fill the spot. And so that's one of the things right. that I really appreciate about the book too, and we can get into this a little bit more, was you actually came up with three different scenarios on what that succession would look like or when that succession would come. And uh, so I really appreciated just how thorough that was. Clay, I want to shift to you for a second, brother. You write in the forward and you, you share a little bit in the book, kind of telling the story about when you first got that phone call about uh, you one, needing to put your name in for consideration. And I'm sure looking back, you know, it was an obvious yes, but you you expressed it wasn't it wasn't that clear cut at first and that you had had other calls where you were pastoring because you were pastoring at another church and all of those were kind of easy no. So, so kind of walk us through what your, your thoughts were when you, that call first came and the months that followed leading up to you being the pastor at Johnson Ferry. That reluctance was based primarily on just a love for the people that I was pastoring in the church that I had felt God called me to. Uh, we were pastoring a church in the suburbs of Charlotte um, kind of on the southeast side of Charlotte. I'd been there for about five years and was really excited about a lot of things that we had seen God done uh, at that church. Uh, they had a great team, a great ministry. Um, but I got that call. In fact, I remember I was sitting at a Panera Bread about to hire an executive pastor uh, who was a good friend of mine. And I saw Bryant Wright's name on the caller ID and called him back. And he just expressed a desire for me to pray about putting my name forward um, as a part of their process. And I know he had called some other guys as well. And maybe to back up real quick, providentially, you see God's hand, you know, as we look back in the rearview mirror, uh, Brian had asked me to be part of a young pastor's mentor group. And he had been doing that for, I think about a decade or something mm-hmm. at that time where he would just call together pastors from different parts of the country together uh, several times for a year or two and to read books together and just a, a time of iron sharpening iron. And actually I, I turned down his initial invitation just based on some other commitments that I had. And so he asked if I would be a part of a second group that he had of some pastors that pastor churches a little bit larger than the one I was pastoring. And I said, yes. And so it was interesting because of that very first meeting together I uh, came to find out that of the six pastors there, five of them uh, had all followed long-tenured pastors at uh, large churches. And that was not my experience, <laughs> but I certainly loved hearing from them. And and so being a part of that group is really what uh, connected me to Bryant. Now, maybe one other backstory. Uh, I went to college with one of Bryant's sons at right. uh, University of South Carolina. And so I, I knew Bryant as 
uh, his father, but did not really know much about Brian as a pastor, didn't know a whole lot about Johnson Ferry. So long story short, um, Bryant called, and so we began to pray about it. And uh, and I think in hindsight, you look at a successful, healthy church like Johnson Ferry, and you would think it was an easy yes. But I had a deep love for the people that we were pastoring and really had been praying for months and months about a, a vision there and what I thought God was calling us to do there. So this, this was an abrupt interruption into that system, but it was an opportunity that we took seriously. And so my wife, Terica and I began that process, like, like many others, uh, of, of praying through, uh, was this something that, that we wanted to pursue? I have a, a pastor that I worked for for a number of years, Dick Lincoln. Uh, and he used to tell me all the time, he would say, you know, when, when a search team or a opportunity like this contacts you and you have some level of interest, you should, you should at least talk to them because one of two things, is going to happen either number one uh, it may be that god is calling you to this and you at least need to consider it or number two all it's going to do is reaffirm your love and your call for the church in which you currently serve Mm, that's good and i have had churches that have called through the years i don't want to oversell that as if i got a call every week or something but i've had a number of churches that have reached out and and every time i would at least have an initial conversation and after praying through it it was a fairly easy no just based on a sense of where God was leading us, but this was different. Uh, we felt an openness to engage in the conversation and in their process. And uh, long story short, all those events unfolded, and uh, we saw uh, God saw fit that we were to be the the ones to come and to succeed this great ministry. Brandon, just a clarification for your listeners too: uh, the search team really contacted. Uh, most of the other candidates that were being considered, but because Clay was a part of that mentoring group, I just felt, uh, yeah. just told the co-chairman, I'd like to just give him a call to see if he would have interest and in openness. And I had given the search team 31 names of young pastors. So Clay was one of those 31. It's I like did Baskin Robbins. Yeah, yeah, 31 <laughs> I didn't, I didn't uh, say this is the guy. I just said, I'm very impressed with this young man. He's a part of the mentoring group. Uh, I haven't even heard him preach, but I just think it's something y'all might want to explore. And obviously God was in that whole process, but just so your listeners will know, our search team really was leading the process and they were looking for me just to be there to answer questions. I would be in some meetings, some meetings I wouldn't be just there to observe and offer insight as it was appropriate. Which just kind of reinforces the importance of mentorship opportunities for for guys, aspiring pastors and pastors to take advantage of. So, Clay, what was it like coming in after a pastor who had faithfully shepherded a church for 38 years? What was what was that like? Oh, it was terrible. I'm just kidding. No, it was actually really good. Uh, I, I, I joke. Uh, I joke with guys that you, you never want to be Ray Perkins. So that's a bit of a dated reference. I saw he died this past yeah. week. You know. So, and some of your listeners will have no idea that name, but, but yeah. Ray, Ray Perkins was the, the the successor to Bear Bryant at the University of Alabama, and most guys have never heard of him. They have heard of Gene Stallings because he was a guy after the guy that you know won the national championship. But uh, And I think in some ways that's a metaphor because we've all heard these horrific stories of churches where the incoming pastor did not fare so well um, in, a, in a succession plan like that. So, so you have some of those fears coming in of, and some insecurities that rise to the surface. 
But coming here, honestly, was a different experience for me and a wonderful one because this is a very, very healthy church. I mean, no church is perfect, and Johnson Ferry isn't perfect either, but right. it's a very healthy church, healthy leadership, supportive of their leadership. They were involved in the process, and a lot of uh, credit needs to be given to um, to Brian. I mean, there were other people involved as well, but his humility, his intentionality, I often think about where these go wrong, and and sometimes that's a product of just a lack of clarity mm. from the outgoing pastor and the church as a whole. But Bryant was very clear with the church about his intentions, about why he felt led to retire, about his motives. And as you've already mentioned, he had a number of scenarios about succession plans. So by the time my name was presented, there was already a formalized process in play, which was tremendously uh, advantageous yeah. to me as an incoming pastor. And if there's one thing, again, that I see that goes wrong with a lot of transitions, it's just a lack of clarity. Yeah, right. I agree. There's yeah. a lot of intentions that are present in someone's head, but they haven't actually made it to a piece of paper to be discussed somewhere with clarity. So I, I came in um, to a healthy church, and, and yet there's still the insecurities. And I think as an incoming pastor, you have to have a humble confidence be who God's called you to be. I've had a number of people who have repeated this back to me, but when I came to preach the very first sermon here in view of a call, I had had people mentioned in those weeks of, wow, Bryant Wright, that's a great ministry. Those are going to be really, really big shoes to fill. And, and I said something to the church that I didn't mean to come across as an arrogant statement. It was just one of confidence to say, I, I'm not here to fill Bryant's shoes. I'm here mm -hmm. to fill my shoes. And I think that's really important for an incoming pastor to, to be humble, yet to also be confident to know that God's not calling you to be another version of, of the person that you're following. He's called you to be you with your gifts and personality and passion for ministry. And I think that was really, really important uh, for me to, as I came in. Mm, that's really Brandon, good. I loved it sitting there during Clay's sermon that day because I was sitting by Terrica, his wife, and when Clay said that, I whispered to her, I said, they know there's a new sheriff in town. But <laughs> like that, and she and I chuckled about it. I, I thought that was great. And I think, too, Clay is comfortable in his own skin. I, I think when you're, you know, there's going to be a comparison thing. That's just what whoever yeah. the personality is. No are. matter what it is. And I told, I, I was told many times that the major responsibility for this working is the outgoing senior pastor. And that's not in any way to diminish Clay's role because both have got to be supportive of the process. It's just that the outgoing senior pastor has all the chips. I mean, he's got all the experience with that congregation. And the trust. And, and that's right. The trust is there. So uh, it was very important to me that we had a good game plan for our four months of overlap and yeah. a clear ending date that the senior pastor has got to stay with. Because yeah. I think the situation, Situations I heard where it didn't work well, the senior pastor just had a hard time letting go, kind of wanted to extend things, was a little vague about all that. That just created all kind of uncertainty, not only in the successor, but even in the congregation of uh, what was going on there. So I think that added to why things uh, went in a, a smooth process there. Yeah. So this goes for both of you. You know, you mentioned there was an overlap there. How important do you think that overlap was to the health of the church? And what was it like? Maybe this was more for you. What was it like seeing him lead uh, in that overlap? Well, it was it was very 
enjoyable for me because we got to be a team for four months and we had a clear game plan. I think, I think Clay would say he was a little reluctant because <laughs> uh, he's a leader. You know, if you get the right leader, they're ready to lead and, and he was ready to go. But what, uh, just real quickly, how we approached it, uh, whether it's deacons meetings, elders meetings, staff meetings, uh, big events for the church, that first month I was leading the meeting while Clay was there and might say a few things. Then the second month, we both jointly led those types of meetings. And then the third month, Clay was leading the meeting and I was present. The fourth month, Clay was the leader and I was not there. And while all that was going on, we were doing a, doing sermon series together. So we were both preaching. He might preach two weeks. I'd preach two weeks. But as we got closer to the end, Clay's frequency of preaching was more than me. Also, the day Clay came, I had moved out of the pastor's office. I just took a, uh empty study office where I worked on sermons here at Johnson Ferry. And I felt like all those symbols visually were important for the congregation to see that there was a new pastor. Mm. And when they could see that just gradually happening over that four-month period, I, I think it made the acceptance for Clay. They were ready. I mean, they just knew this was the process. And then COVID hit a few months after that, and Clay had to leave the church in a way that Bryant never had to leave the church. And so I think it really did, as difficult as it was for every pastor in COVID, I think Clay became the pastor in people's minds much quicker because of COVID. And he did a great job through that process. Brian yeah. obviously has a direct line to God because he got out right in time. Well, it's good, too, because I've actually heard from a lot of pastors that COVID kind of was a reset button. And in a yeah. lot of ways, it, yeah. it was a reset button for y'all. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. But I did have a lot of pastors. Kid, but you had a divine connection to get out of the pastor for all this COVID <laughs> challenge. I said, yeah, I'm thankful, too, that Clay's handling all this. <laughs> well, it does accelerate it. I, I think under normal circumstances in a situation like this, it would probably take me three to five years to really become the pastor. I mean, you have the title and you're doing the duties, but yeah. become the pastor for people is a matter of trust. But with a crisis the size of COVID, that, that got accelerated um, dramatically. And right. as you just walk through that level of a crisis with people, you, you become their pastor. Assuming you do that well, you become their pastor much, much quicker. But going back to the transition that we had, I think Brian's correct. I mean, coming in, I would have not wanted that. And I've seen pastors do it a different way. I've seen pastors who say, my job is to basically get out of the way. So I'm going to preach my final sermon. I'm going to retire. And then a week or two later, the new guy will come in and and off you'll be to the run. And that's the way I can serve the church. And that may work in some settings. But in in this setting, I'm, I'm glad looking back that we did a transition for a number of reasons. One, I think that that those three or four months of overlap accelerated the church's um, ability to process the transition. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, and I think it did them a world of good to see us both together honoring one another. And honor is really, really important. And honestly, one of the great benefits was just that we became friends. I mean, Absolutely. I think I think if Bryant had left and I came in the next week, I would have respected Bryant. I would have respected what he did for this church. I would have tried to honor that. But I don't know if I would have known him at the level that I got to know him as we worked together. Right. So, um, and, and everyone has to do that differently. Me, you've been heard in this conversation. I mean, one of the really key factors this whole thing has just been 
his intentionality and humility. Because a lot of pastors who have pastored a church for almost 40 years uh, struggle to pass that baton. And I'm sure Bryant had his own struggles in that too. But those never surfaced publicly. And I think the church was was greatly benefited by it. Right. Brian, one of the things I love about the book is how you weave your wife's experience throughout it. Yeah. What advice would you give to pastors and churches on how to care for their wives and families when entering this phase of ministry? Uh, because it's going to be a radical change for them as well. Yeah. They've, they've fostered these relationships for years. They've served alongside. They've seen the growth. So what advice would you give to pastors? Well, I think uh, the pastor and his wife need to be together on the timing of this decision and uh, quite frankly, if it hadn't been for Vanderbloom and the consultant we were using in this whole process, he brought this up to us three or four years before I felt the timing was right to implement it. They, they just told us that so often it's the retiring senior pastor's wife that creates mm. the issues mm. and often unintentionally just, you know, maybe question some things about the new pastor's approach on things. And so I remember talking to Ann first time about, boy, she did not like thinking about that kind of pressure. It took her a while. And I'm glad that we just kept praying together during that year to where she came to have a peace about doing this. I do think the transition has been harder for Ann because I was called to a new ministry. Mm. And, you know, the pastor's wife is so engaged in the life of the church but it's different when you go to work for a denominational entity. I'm actually working for two denominational entities, which is really an interesting uh, <laughs> calling there. But uh, she'll never know the Center of Belief staff like she knew the staff at Johnson Ferry. It's just it's just not going right. to be that way. Yeah. And so it's been a little harder for her to figure out her place uh, at this stage. And I've just got immersed in Center Relief. You know, within three months, here we are beginning a new ministry. Uh, so I think there's a, it's not an easy role. Uh, and Anne certainly has been, she's felt awkward even coming back in worship because in those earlier conversations where if the senior retired senior pastor's wife just raises her eyebrows about something that the new pastor says or does and other people are looking, she just is concerned. She doesn't want to do anything right. that could be misinterpreted yeah. as far as support for Clay. So it's just been a little more awkward for her for her in this role. But I think they need to mainly brand and be together yeah. and, and being sure that God is leading yeah. in this process. So let's talk about transitions and, and succession plans for churches that are listening to this. You know, I haven't heard of many churches, if any, that have succession plans in place for their pastor, especially one that's older, that's nearing retirement age. So why do you think so many churches neglect this uh, or just haven't thought about putting a plan together for the future? Well, I'd like to just share this. I think pastors are a little reluctant because if they bring it up, are the key leaders going to think, well, it's probably time for him to move on that he's thinking about this, <laughs> yeah. and they may not be ready to move on. So that, And I have some of those understandable fears, Brandon, of just in bringing it up initially in that regard. I think that's part of the reason. And I think from the layman, the lay leader's perspective, they are often reluctant to bring it up to the pastor because they don't want to appear to be suggesting it's time for him to retire, like they're ungrateful for his leadership. So I think there's just some understandable fears and apprehensions uh, that people have. I do think, though, churches make a bad mistake when, in our traditional way of setting up a pulpit search committee, the retiring pastor often has no role whatsoever. 
And the one person who knows the most about that church and what it means to pastor that church is the outgoing pastor. Mm. That's really, that really doesn't make any sense. And so I hope churches will more and more see that, especially when you have a pastor of some long tenure, have him involved in the process in some way, because he knows the church. And he also can talk very frankly to the prospects of people that will be following him pastor to pastor that will be very helpful yeah. uh, for his successor. So I think churches often are very short-sighted in leaving the retiring pastor out of the process. Right. Uh, so, so what are some positive signs? If you could give me like three positive signs that the transition is going well, what would they be? And maybe three bad signs that it's not going well. I think a, a very positive thing is that there is a mutual honoring that goes on between the outgoing pastor and the incoming pastor. I, th- I think if they can both with integrity stand on a stage and honor and love one another publicly, that's a, that's a, a sign of a, of a great a great transition. I think maybe a little bit more behind the scenes, I know this is contextual based on how big your church is and maybe how big your team is, but obviously the the transfer of loyalty from the staff from one leader to another is a really, really important factor as well. And I think as an incoming pastor, you can assume that because you're following a founding or a long tenured pastor, that you also get to capitalize on all of his trusts and the chips that he has built. And and you're not starting from scratch, but I, I think that's probably an error. You know, as an incoming pastor, you have to build your own trust and loyalty from the people that uh, you serve with. But I think if you're seeing signs of that and healthy signs, I think those are a couple positive things. What would you add? Yeah, and I, I, I think Clay is such a good cultural fit. Now, let me clarify what I mean by cultural. Hmm. Theologically, Clay and I are very close biblically, very close It'd be it'd be hard to find major differences there, but also Clay is a great sociological fit for for Johnson Ferry. Um, I think where a lot of search teams are incredibly naive yeah. about not thinking about this process is the pastor a cultural fit yeah. or have a special calling to that culture? Because obviously missionaries are going cross cultural and there's so many differences there. But Clay's a great cultural fit. Yeah. I mean, people just immediately resonate with clay they identify with the person he is he is a extremely gifted preacher and so there's there's a connecting point that he has with our congregation that is just outstanding Mm -hmm. and that's that's another reason this has become such a healthy transition process Mm -hmm. yeah and and let me add to that i i they assume that some things are going to change that doesn't mean they like them Mm. But that's just part of new leadership, new season. There, there are going to be changes, and everyone knows that to some degree. Here's a real gut-level, honest question that you as an incoming pastor need to be thinking about. Am I here to change the culture and the methods, or am I here to keep the culture and change the methods? And I think both could be correct answers. You just need to be honest with which one you're doing, because what happens a lot of times uh, you know, churches come in and you start, you want to change the culture and you want to change the methods, which may be the needed course, but that takes a lot longer. And if the people think that you're here to keep the culture, but change the methods, then they feel like they were blindsided as to what you want to do and, and how you want to do it and the time 
you know, it takes to do that. And I just think you need to be honest with your core leadership about what your intentions are, where you see this church headed, you know, what, what does success look like to you? Um, because if not, you know, things can go awry pretty, pretty quickly. Oh, that's good. So this, this is a question I hear from pastors a lot. How do I know I need to leave? In this book, both of you make that decision. Clay, you left the previous church to come to Johnson Ferry, and Brian, you left the church. You pastored for decades. So what, what advice would you give pastors on how to leave and how to leave well? Well, first of all, I'd like to say for me, it was a lack of vision. Now, I realize there's all kind of discussions and arguments about what's the difference in vision and mission, but here's how I see it. The mission of the church is clear. Jesus makes it clear in the Great Commission. Right. That doesn't really change. But the pastor brings a vision of how we implement and carry out that mission that Christ has given the church in this locale. And I was coming to a point where I was just lacking vision for the future of Johnson Ferry. And I kept praying about it and praying about it and asking God to give some fresh thoughts on what that would be. And it just kept coming back to, you need to get this process of succession implemented and underway. So that was a completely new kind of vision, but that was the vision. And so I think when a pastor reaches that point where he's lacking that vision, then you, then you go into a maintenance mode. You may still be an effective pastor, but you're still, the days are coming to an end when you're lacking vision for the future. And I do think Clay and I were just talking, Brandon, I do think it helps Clay that I'm scarce around here. I mean, being called to send relief, I'm preaching most Sundays in a different church around mm-hmm. the country right. representing send relief. And I do think that's really easier on the successor if the predecessor is not there just too often. And yet I realize there are successful situations that we know of here in Atlanta where the retiring pastor is still active in the church and just has a niche that he fits into. So there's no perfect plan or one size fits all, but I do think it helps when the retiring pastor is, is either moving to a new ministry or moving to a new area or just making it easier on his successor. Mm, Because I I think it's bound to help Clay that I'm just not here that much. Yeah, I can see that. If nothing else, I would just say for a season, it, it'd be helpful for most outgoing pastors to stay yeah, away. I don't know what that yeah. means or how long that season is, but there probably needs to be some agree. And, and for him to tell the church yeah. that for the next six months or the next year or whatever it is that you feel led to do, uh, you, you won't see me much. And, and, uh, and to help with that, I, I know other pastors who have retired and, um, you know, inevitably they would start to get calls from people when they would be uh, complaining about the new pastor. And that outgoing pastor saw one of their key roles is to um, to kind of squash that out and yeah. to not be not be a recipient of, of all that feedback and to kind of get out of that and support the new pastor. And I think that's just hard. I mean, I think it sounds easy to do, but it's it's hard in the moment when when you want to be needed. Um, but in, in terms of me leaving a church. I, I think this is true for most people. I mean, I, I think like Brian makes the distinction between vision and mission. There's also a, an important distinction between identity and calling. And I think at the end of the day, our identity, we're children of God, we're born again, we're all those things. And I think our calling as a pastor can uh, ebb and flow and change. Um, 
And you hear those stories of guys who are at one church for 40 years, and, and that's that's amazing. And and that may be what God's calling you to do, but maybe God's not calling you to do that. And that's probably true for most of us, that we, we won't be in the same place for 40 right. or 50 years. So, so for me, when I've always discerned, do I go to a new place, there's a couple ingredients that I think are really important. Some of them your listeners will immediately think of, for instance, prayer. You know, as I pray about this, what I feel led to do. Number two, I think if it's an opportunity that you did not pursue, you should at least pay attention to it. It doesn't mean that that's God's will, but oftentimes the greatest opportunities are not the ones that you are pursuing. They're the ones that, quote unquote, fell in your lap. I think that's important to pay attention to those. I think three, you need to seek wise counsel from people who know you and hopefully have kind of a trusted personal board of advisors who can help you with decisions like this. And fourth, for me, I'll often talk about just growing excitement over time because I like, this is just true to me. I like new things, like new ideas. Sometimes an opportunity will pop up and you think, Oh, that'd be amazing. And, uh, and then a week later you can barely remember, remember (laughs) it. And so if, if that excitement is growing and growing and not going away, that doesn't mean that's God's will necessarily, but it does mean you should pay attention to it. And so for me, all four of those boxes were checked as we began this process. And so we felt confident, uh, this is where God wanted us to come. Hmm. That's good. How can you encourage pastors listening to this podcast today? Some may be just starting out with a church. Some may be you know, towards the end of the race, you know, about to enter retirement. What words of encouragement uh, do you have for pastors listening? Well, it, it helps to approach our calling to realize that every pastor is really an interim pastor mm-hmm. and that the church is going to last longer than him. Mm-hmm. And I think if we can have that view from the beginning, then however long God allows us to be in this role of being the pastor of that church, we want to be a good steward of that responsibility. So that helps, I think, in that regard to think about the role that you have. That's that's kind of the one thing that comes to my mind. And really, it's it's really God's timing, Brandon, because uh, as I said, I was hoping to go to 70, but the Lord just began to put this calling a little sooner than I was expecting yeah. on my heart. Then you have a decision, am I willing to obey God? Because sin relief opportunity was not on the table when I implemented this process. I really didn't want to retire from ministry. I just knew God was leading me to let go of Johnson Perry and a younger man needed to come in and reaching the next generation. So there's that faith step that has to lead to obedience when you're going through that process. Yeah, I love in the beginning of your book, you just say it, no pastor lives forever. And it's a great, I underlined it because I was like, you know what? This is exactly why this is so important is because as pastors being entrusted to shepherd the flock, that means thinking long-term ahead. That means thinking what what is the next chapter for them when I'm not here? I thought that was an excellent, excellent quote in the beginning. I'd like to encourage younger pastors with two thoughts. Number one is if you're coming to a ministry, no matter the size or the scale of the ministry, and I've said it multiple times on this podcast, honor is really important. And I think as much as you can with integrity honor the ministry that you've inherited, the pastor that you followed, uh, it's, it's really important and, and to do things above board that honors the Lord and serves your people. So to really fight to honor, because it is easy to, to get into the contract game and the, uh, well, they used to do this, but I'm doing this. And, 
it, it was bad before and it's good now. And, it, you know, it's because all that's just insecurity that, that it's easy to give into. So right. fight to honor uh, the ministry and the people that you followed. And, uh, you know, the, the second thing that, that I would say if you're coming to a ministry is your greatest challenge is to help that church see that their best days are ahead. So honor the past, but lean into the future mm-hmm. and to speak aspirationally about what God is doing, not just what he did, but what is he doing and where is he taking us? And don't get paralyzed by the health or the success of the church that you've inherited, but lean into where you think God has taken them and lead on right. towards the future. Right. That's really good. Well, that'll do it, brothers. Thank you both so much for taking time to join the conversation uh, and for sharing your story. If you're listening to this episode and you don't have a copy of Succession, change that today by adding this resource to your library. Whether you are a new pastor or one that has been serving at your church for decades, this is something uh, that you will need because, again, to quote you, brother, uh, no pastor lives forever. And we want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. If you found today's episode helpful, consider leaving us a five-star rating and review. We'd love to hear any feedback uh, you'd be willing to give us. As always, it is our mission at the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership to equip and encourage pastors. And I hope we've done that today with our conversation. 